Marketing Café with Tina, Peter and Wagner. Your casual providers of marketing knowledge. Hello, welcome to the Marketing Café, where we discuss marketing research in a casual way. Hopefully, we will provide useful insights from marketers, store managers, owners of sole proprietorships, consumers and students. My name is Tina and I'm your host for today. Together with me is Maine. Ciao. And Victor. Hello. We are Norwegian master students in the final stages of our double degree in strategic marketing from BI Norwegian Business School and Louise in Rome. This is a pilot project with three episodes. We hope you like it and if you do, then we will make more. Today, the Marketing Cafe is located in Rome. And we are discussing robots. Yes, we are indeed. And I have prepared a hilarious joke for today. Okay, here it is. Do you know why the robot went back to robot school? No, but tell me, Victor. Because his skills were getting a little rusty. <laughs> <laughs> that was indeed a rusty joke. As I tried to say, today we're discussing robots in service encounters. Magne has done some research on this topic. Therefore, he will be the lead academic contributor. Whereas Victor will serve as a rusty sidekick. <laughs> today we're eating a lunch in the marketing cafe. What are you eating today, Magne? Since I'm writing about robots in service interactions, I am currently avoiding all human service interactions. Therefore, I have ordered some very dry crackers from the vending machine right outside the marketing cafe. What are you eating, Victor? In solidarity with you, Magna, and your avoidance of human interaction, I've ordered a double espresso and a chocolate cornetto through the Marketing Café's self-service application. What are you eating today, Tina? Unlike you, I've ordered from the counter. I ordered a fresh focaccia with prosciutto, formaggio and pesto to keep my energy levels high for a long time. We defined marketing in the first episode of Marketing Café. However, can you summarize what marketing is, Victor? Of course I can, Tina. I think Kotler said it very well. He defines marketing as the science and art of exploring, creating and delivering value to satisfy the needs of a target market at a profit. Thank you, Victor. As you heard from the definition, marketing covers a lot of aspects within business. Therefore, when we meet in the marketing cafe, we discuss one subtopic within marketing each time. As said earlier, Today's topic is robots in service encounters. And Magna, what is that all about? Yeah, Magna, what is that all about? That is when a robot supports part of or takes care of all the processes associated with the point of purchase. Said in a different way, it means that a robot is meeting you at the store instead of a person. Hmm, yeah, cool. You're writing a thesis about this topic, Magna. Why did you choose this topic? I wanted to understand what makes people react positive or negative to new technologies in a service setting. However, there are many elements that can influence a customer in a service setting, and it would demand a lot of time to find every factor. Therefore, I decided to narrow it down to service encounters, which traditionally has been the event where a customer interacts with a store employee. In addition, there are also a lot of new technologies that are being implemented in businesses today and I wanted to focus on understanding the new digital world. But how did you arrive at robots, Magna? I read several news articles which showed robots being implemented in different service settings, such as pizzerias and hotels, so I narrowed it down to service robots. Okay, uh, but what do you mean by service robots, Magna? Well, I think I mentioned something about a robot vacuum cleaner in the first episode of Marketing Café. 
This is an example of a service robot. These service robots are made to assist humans by performing repetitive or dull tasks. An example from a business context is Pizza Hut that has been trying out the robot Pepper. Pepper Hut takes your order and payment. This seems like an exciting context for your thesis, Maine. Uh, but what kind of theory will you employ to study robots in service encounters? I have focused on two theoretical concepts. The first theory is attachment theory, which entails individuals' differential behavior in short and long-term interpersonal relationships. The second theory is the theory of anthropomorphism, which in short is a human tendency to ascribe human traits, intentions or emotions to objects or animals. Disney's talking animals such as Mickey and Minnie Mouse are an example of anthropomorphism. Before we move on, can you explain anthropomorphism and attachment style more closely, just so it is understandable for everyone? Of course I can, Tina. As I mentioned, anthropomorphism is the attribution of human characteristics or behavior to, for example, animals or objects. In other words, making animals or objects more human. One good example is cars. Cars has been designed to have a mouth, which is the grill, and two eyes, which is the headlamps. So, uh, let's say that a dog owner refers to his or her dog as my baby. Is this a form of anthropomorphism? That's a great question, Victor. And yes, it might be. Pet owners often give their pets a human-like name, or some even give them clothes, which often look like human clothes. This is definitely an example of making animals more human, and thus it is a form of anthropomorphism. Oh, this reminds me about something I read earlier that I feel is highly related to what you just said. In Japan, some people perform Buddhist funerals for robot dogs. The National Geographic article claimed that this is not just a hoax, but owners of the robot dogs actually have an attachment to these dogs. That is crazy! This is a great example, Tina, since it connects robots and anthropomorphism. But now, where were I? So you just explained anthropomorphism, and it would be nice if you could explain what you mean by attachment style as well. Okay, I will give a brief definition before explaining the underlying dimensions of attachment style. An attachment style is the systematic pattern of relational expectations, needs, emotions and social behaviors that results from the internalization of a particular history of attachment experiences. Furthermore, according to Bartholomew, there are two dimensions of attachment style. The first dimension is model of other, which is a continuum that ranges from positive to negative. People with a positive model of other seek other people, but a person with a negative model of other avoids intimacy. The second dimension is model of self, which is also a continuum that ranges from positive to negative. People with a positive model of self are self-confident, whereas people with a negative model of self are anxious. These models are sometimes referred to as attachment avoidance and attachment anxiety. So, model of other is the same as attachment avoidance, and model of self is the same as attachment anxiety. I hope this was clear. Yes, Magna. It sounded fine. Yeah, that is understandable. But uh, how are these two dimensions connected? Great. I will try to explain this as clear as possible. There are four so-called attachment styles. To determine which of the four attachment styles a person has, the person answers a questionnaire. As I said earlier, the two underlying dimensions of attachment styles are model of other and model of self. 
So if I understand you correctly, Magna, a person has a score on both the model of other and the model of self? Yes, that's correct. So if a person has a positive score on both the model of other and the model of self, the person is classified as secure. Secure implies a systematic pattern where the person is comfortable with intimacy, is autonomous and self-confident in close relationships, and solves conflicts constructively. Conversely, if a person has a negative score on both the model of other and the model of self, the person is classified as fearful. Fearful implies a systematic pattern where a person is dependent on others, but also avoids intimacy due to the fear of rejection. They also have a low self-esteem and a high attachment anxiety. However, when a person scores positive on the model of other, but scores negative on the model of self, the person is classified as preoccupied. Preoccupied implies a systematic pattern where the person is overly involved in and invests in close relationships, depends on others for self-worth, and also has an approach orientation toward others that is demanding and needy. Finally, when a person scores negative on the model of other and scores positive on the model of self, the person is classified as dismissing. Dismissing implies a systematic pattern where the person is compulsively self-reliant, distant in relationships, and downplays the importance of intimate relationships. Thank you, Maynard. That was a great answer to my question about how these dimensions work together. Do you have anything you would like to add, Victor? No, I felt it was understandable. But why should marketers really care about robots in service encounters? That's a great question, Victor. I would say that marketers should care about robots in service encounters because of three reasons. First, technological improvement has led to better robots, which is now applicable to a broad set of domains. Secondly, companies are testing out robots in service designs as we speak. Finally, the usage of robots in business is expected to rapidly increase during the next years. We have seen a growing focus in the media and in business on artificial intelligence, machine learning, automation and robotics. We even talked about Internet of Things in the first episode of Marketing Cafe, where Tina informed us about barriers against Internet of Things adoption. The global service robotic industry is actually valued to be 7 billion US dollars in the 2016. It is also predicted that the market will triple by 2021. Since the usage of robots in service designs are likely to become highly common, I believe it is crucial to understand how customers perceive different types of robots compared to humans. Definitely, Maine. That sounds reasonable, Manga. Yeah, good. But regarding this, have you heard about the Henna Hotel in Japan, Victor? Yes, Magna. I have heard about that hotel. Can you tell us and the listeners what this is, Victor? Yeah, I can. Uh, as far as I read, the hotel's front staff are robots. So, for example, when you check in, you have to talk to a robot. Yeah, all sorts of robots can be found in the hotel with different degree of anthropomorphism. For example... When you check in, you can talk to robots shaped as either humans or dinosaurs. If you want to order some room service, you can talk to an egg-shaped robot. But the idea of robot is not really that common, is it? Or at least not dinosaurs. So, after my opinion, Hannah Hotel seems to be based on a -a one-of-a-kind situation. Is that right? As I mentioned, robots is a growing market. And companies might consider using robots in their service designs. However, we do not know quite yet how the customer might react. For example, 
customers might react negatively when encountering robots. If the robot is seen as an attempt to strip down the service offering in order to save costs. So, the main purpose of my thesis is to understand how customers react when facing robots in the service context. However, I would like to point out that I'm not completely done yet with the data collection. So, today's discussion will be based on my initial literature review, and we will cover some amazing papers. Interesting, Magna. I look forward to hear more about it. Take it away, Magna. I would like to start by giving a historical perspective. Let us take the last 30 years of how the service encounter term has been defined and developed. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on, is that strictly necessary? I will try to restrain myself. But I mean it's important to give a short summary of how the service encounter term has changed alongside business. That is the idea at least. What do you think as the host, Tina? That sounds like an alright plan. I can start by giving a brief introduction of the evolution of the term service encounter. The earliest usage of the term was in the mid-80s. And it was academically defined by Supenta and Solomon in 1987. I hope that I managed to pronounce their name right. Their definition is as follows. The dyadic interaction between a customer and a service provider. What is dyadic? Dyadic simply means a group of two or a pair. Ah, okay. Thanks. You may now proceed, Magna. A lot has changed since the early definition, especially in the way we communicate and interact with one another. More specifically, how we acquire products and consume products. With the rapid technological growth, we have moved from a more face-to-face basis to a more technology-oriented service encounter. Therefore, a new definition was needed. In 2017, a paper by Laverrier and colleagues came up with the new term, Service Encounter 2.0. Oh, that's really a super creative name. Yeah, you're right. Service Encounter 2.0 is defined as follows. Any customer company interaction that results from a service system that is comprised of an interrelated technologies, human actors, physical, or digital environments and company or customer processes. We see that the second definition incorporates elements from the digital world that we live in today. Guys, how do you think service encounters will be in the future? Uh, I believe that in the future the majority of us will order our stuff online and wait for it to appear at our doorsteps. And if we once in a while have to go to the store, I believe a lot of the in-store processes are managed by robots. In the future, I think there will be an extensive use of virtual and augmented reality. Interesting thoughts, guys. A related concept when it comes to robots in service encounters is automated social presence, which is the extent to which machines make customers feel that they are in the company of an other social entity. That leads me to an interesting question. To enable you to view a robot as a social entity, does the extent to which it looks like a human have anything to say? Uh, I think that maybe the looks are irrelevant, but I believe behavior is crucial. I believe the robot has to follow the social norms in the context. So I think the extent to which the robot looks like a human have something to say, because the human look is what we're used to. Interesting, but I'm curious, do you prefer to interact with a human or a robot? If the robot works perfectly, I would prefer to interact with it as I imagine that this can be more efficient. However, 
in some situations, like restaurants, where customer service is a central part of the experience? I'm not too sure. Maybe I would prefer human interaction in cases like this. Yeah. As Tina said, I also think it will depend on the situation. That being said, Meine, how is anthropomorphism and attachment styles linked together and related to robots in service encounters? I think it's best to start with anthropomorphism. There is a paper from 2015 that I feel is essential to mention. It is named Who or What to Believe? Trust and the Differential Persuasiveness of Human and Anthropomorphized Messengers. The paper is written by Torre Tillery and McGill. Why is this paper relevant? There are two things. First, to explain anthropomorphism, they use a continuum that ranges from human to non-human. They also use the term partial anthropomorphism, which means that just some aspect of the object or animal is humanized. Previous research has primarily focused on comparing two objects of the same type. For example, two cars with different degrees of anthropomorphism. The rationale behind this paper was to compare the persuasiveness of a non-human anthropomorphic messenger with the human messenger. Second, what they measured and their findings were interesting. They hypothesized that people with low so-called interpersonal trust would respond more positive to the non-human messenger and the person with the high interpersonal trust would prefer the human messenger. That being said, what do you think they found? I'm thinking it would be very counterintuitive if you brought a paper that did not find support for anthropomorphism, which is the topic you are researching. Therefore, I believe that they got support for their hypotheses. <laughs> I totally agree with Victor. You're both correct. The individual with low interpersonal trust responded positive to the non-human anthropomorphized messenger. These findings are especially interesting for me since interpersonal trust is closely linked to the model of other that we discussed earlier in the episode. Therefore, this paper is used in my hypothesizing. This is a good cue to move our discussion back to attachment styles again. Yes, perfect, Tina. I will primarily talk about two papers that I consider highly relevant for my thesis. But first, we devote one minute for a brief summary of the history of attachment theories. Shovel. <laughs> what Victor just said is directly translated from Norwegian to drive on and means please proceed. I will do that, Victor. The field of attachment theory was first introduced by John Bowlby in the 50s and mainly focus on children's attachment to their primary caregiver, most often their mothers. The underlying assumption is that infants are biologically pre-programmed to form attachment with others, to survive. According to Bowlby's theory, it is critical that the children develop attachment before the age of five. The extent to which the individual form attachment within the time frame will follow them later on in life. Several researchers have established that 70 to 80% of people do not change their attachment styles over time. Research on attachment styles has exploded in the last years in relations to business, organization and marketing. For example, in organizational research, more paper has been published on attachment theory in the past 5 years than the preceding 25 years combined. Both my focal papers use the attachment style concept to understand customer relationship with firms, which is essential to create good service encounters.
If you find attachment styles interesting and want a more extensive overview of attachment theory, I encourage you to read Attachment in Adulthood, Structure, Dynamics and Change. The book is written by Mario McLinchar and Philip P. Shaver, which are both great researchers in the field of attachment theory. They actually published a second edition that was published in 2017. That is great. I would like to point out that we are not sponsored by anyone, and this is not a paid advertisement. However, if anyone is listening and feel that Marketing Cafe is where I should invest my money, we would be fine with that too. Let's get back on track. Magne, can you take us through the two papers you referred to earlier? Of course, of course. The first paper is Why Attachment Security Matter? How Customers' Attachment Styles Influence Their Relationship with Service Firms and Service Employees. This paper is written by Martin Mende and Ruth N. Bolton and is published in the Journal of Service Research. The authors wanted to test if there was a difference between low and high attachment avoidance and further if there was a difference between low and high attachment anxiety. Previously I have referred to attachment avoidance as the model of other and attachment anxiety as the model of self. I recommend reading the paper if you want all the details. In this paper they tried to answer three comprehensive questions. I will mainly talk about two of them. First, how does customer attachment styles influence customer satisfaction with, trust in, and effective commitment to a service firm and its employees? Second, how can a manager's knowledge of customer attachment styles improve the firm's relationship marketing activities? I assume you will act in line with Marketing Cafe's objective to give people information that can be used in their business and therefore start with explaining findings and later discuss managerial implications. I will, Tina. Let's move directly to the results. Sounds marvelous, Mine. The authors found that customers with a secure attachment style perceive service firms and service employees more positively in the terms of satisfaction, trust and effective commitment. Uh, Magne, could you repeat the characteristics of a secure attachment style again? When both levels of attachment anxiety and attachment avoidance are low, people perceive service firms service employees more positively in terms of satisfaction, trust and effective commitment compared to high levels of attachment anxiety and avoidance. Magne, what does this mean for companies? The paper presents three areas for implications. Measuring attachment styles will be useful to improve resource allocation, better manage customer relationship and enhance market segmentation. Do you have any examples in mind where attachment style has been useful? Yes, the paper has a good example. Customers with lower levels of attachment anxiety and avoidance are ideal candidates for social relationship programs. Such programs might entail inviting customers to events and sending them birthday cards. However, customers with high levels of attachment avoidance are likely to be more responsive to financial reward programs, such as discounts and free product samples. So it seems like if one incorporates attachment styles correctly in firms, it can raise revenues and improve marketing return on investment. Including attachment styles on top of companies' existing data to optimize segmentation could potentially be very lucrative. But Maine, how does this paper relate to your thesis? 
My paper will try to replicate these results. Replication of results is maybe one of the most important things in research. However, it is not perceived very sexy, since replication often doesn't get published in top journals. Just to clarify for our listeners, replication is important because the original study might have been lucky with the results. To assure that the knowledge is reliable, we need to obtain the same results in different settings and consistently over time. Thank you, Victor. Do you want to add anything else from this paper, Magne? No, not from this paper. Okay, let's proceed to the second paper then. The second paper was published in the Journal of Marketing in 2013. Journal of Marketing, that is one of the highest ranked marketing journals. This paper is also written by Mende and Bolton, but this time they have worked with a third researcher, Mary Jo Bittner. By some people, she is perceived as a service marketing guru. Paper is named Decoding Customer Firm Relationships. How attachment styles help explaining customers' preferences for closeness, repurchase intentions, and changes in relationship breadth. Yes, that is great. But how is this paper linked to today's topic, Magne? This paper also analyzes how useful attachment styles are in determining whether a particular customer is motivated to build a close commercial relationship. In particular, they analyze if attachment styles can be used to determine customers' preferred closeness to firm and customer loyalty. What did they find? Anything exciting? Yes, they found some exciting results. The authors indeed found that attachment styles significantly predicted customers' preferred closeness to firms. In fact, attachment style was better than already established marketing variables, such as relationship quality. For loyalty then, what was the results there? Attachment styles and preferences for closeness influences customer loyalty. That is useful information for businesses. Can you explain in more detail how attachment styles impact preferred closeness to firms? Of course, Tina. Attachment anxiety or model of self is positively related to preference for closeness. This means that a person with a high attachment anxiety would prefer closeness to firms. However, attachment avoidance or model of other is negatively related to preference for closeness. This means that a person with a high attachment avoidance would not prefer closeness to firms. How does attachment styles predict loyalty then? People that score high on both or one of the attachment continuums are less likely to be loyal. This means that fearful, dismissing or preoccupied consumers are less loyal than secure consumers. How can these findings be used in a business environment, Meine? The authors present some examples based on an insurance context, but these examples might be transferable to similar situations. For example, Customers high on attachment anxiety appreciate more frequent contact with the firm through a variety of touch points such as phone calls, newsletters, interactive websites, social media and face-to-face. It also seems that one can maintain closeness with customer high on attachment anxiety in a more cost-efficient manner compared to a customer low on attachment anxiety. This is because customers high on attachment anxiety do not require face-to-face communication. Attachment styles can also be used for segmentation since it is correlated with loyalty. As I said earlier, customers with the attachment styles fearful, dismissing and preoccupied are less loyal than secure consumers. Thanks for the insights, Mine. 
Can you tell us a little bit about your approach on the methodology part of your thesis before we wrap it all up? That sounds like a great plan. So the general idea for my research is to conduct two experiments. The first experiment will be used to study whether there is a difference between a human and a non-human employee on satisfaction, intention to use, perceived service quality, trust and effective commitment under different levels of attachment anxiety and attachment avoidance. If some of our listeners is in doubt, the non-human is, of course, a robot. I really don't think someone is in doubt. The second study will focus on how differently anthropomorphized robots influences satisfaction, intention to use, perceived quality, trust and effective commitment under different levels of attachment anxiety and attachment avoidance. That sounds very interesting. So guys, since I've not obtained my results yet, what kind of results do you think I will get? Of course I understand that you cannot give a complete answer, but it might be fun for our listeners to hear your viewpoints. Yes, of course I can. Hmm, I think that a human employee in service encounters will lead to a higher perceived service quality and satisfaction compared to a robot. Also, I think a high degree of anthropomorphism will lead to intention to use compared to a low degree of anthropomorphism. What do you think, Victor? Um, I think that consumers that score negative on model of other will prefer a non-human anthropomorphized employee compared to consumers that score positive on model of other that will prefer a human employee. In particular, I believe that secure and preoccupied consumers prefer a more anthropomorphized employee or a robot compared to dismissive and fearful consumers. Interesting. I think both of you are onto something, but you will need to wait for my results. <laughs> nice. But mine, eh? Should we conclude? Yes, of course. Today we have learned that in line with Service Encounter 2.0, robots are already being implemented in business and the usage of robots is expected to rapidly increase in the next years. Furthermore, People with low interpersonal trust, which is closely linked to model of other, seems to favor a non-human anthropomorphized messenger. Additionally, if a person scores high on both or one of the attachment continuums, model of other and model of self, the person is likely to be less loyal than the person that scores low on both continuums. Also, the competition is hardening since large global conglomerates enter markets. Therefore, it has become crucial for companies to utilize the available data in order to create competitive advantage. Several companies aim to differentiate on customer experience and might want to incorporate robots to their service designs, which consequently could enable customer experiences that is customized for individual customers. I believe that attachment style can be a very useful measure when it comes to customization. Therefore, my goal with this thesis is to obtain useful insights regarding how robots with different degrees of anthropomorphism are perceived by customers with different degrees of attachment styles. I sincerely hope that my findings can be useful for companies with incorporating robots to their service designs. There's no doubt that technology will continue to significantly impact our lives. And I hope this episode has given our listeners something to think about. Now, today's episode has come to an end. Thank you very much for listening to Marketing Cafe. Have a lovely morning, day, evening or night. Shalom.
as Tina said in the beginning of this episode, we will launch three pilot episodes. Episode number three that Victor is responsible for is about brand-related false news. And episode number one that Tina is responsible for is about Internet of Things. Feel free to check them out. Finally, we really appreciate to know whether you dislike or appreciate our podcast. So please rate our podcast and feel free to send us your opinion to marketingcafe18 at gmail.com.